Hi, everybody. Welcome again. It's episode two of Keeping You Active, brought to you by Florida Orthopedic Institute, where we're going to talk about all the different ways and things you can do to stay active and stay healthy. Uh, with me, once again, is physician liaison Kim Mott. How are you doing, Kim? Hi, I'm doing well. All right. And joining us once again for our <laughs> second episode is Dr. Adam Morse. How are you doing, doctor? Very good. Very good. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, in our first episode, which you can find on Facebook, on YouTube, we talked about all the things you you can do to train and plan on uh, for a marathon, uh, you know, or maybe you just want to start running on a regular basis. Uh, you know, lots of great information in that first episode about how to run and how to train for a run. Uh, so, being that the Gasworld Distance Classic is uh, coming up here in the Tampa Bay area, comes around every February, uh, we want to talk about the week of and the day of, right? Because okay. I think, uh, of course, people get excited, people get motivated, you know, pumped up for this big run. It's it's obviously a big deal now here in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, there are people that come from all over the state to run uh, at the Gasparilla Distance Classic. And so we're going to go over some of the, the do's and don'ts, really, of the week of and then, of course, the day of. Uh, of uh, in when it comes to running a marathon, uh, let's get started in by kind of touching back on some of the things we discussed in the first episode. When it comes to training, uh, so you've been training, you're working your way up. Let's say you've been good about following the 10% rule and you've worked your way up to where you want to be for this run in terms of distance, in terms of time. Uh, should what should you do that week of? Should you scale back? Should you stay consistent physically? How should you prepare for for the for that run the week of? If your if your goal is to run a five k or even up to a ten k, the short to middle distance is you can kind of just kind of continue with your routine training schedule. If your goal is to run um, a marathon, then and even a, a 10K, if you really are trying to set a personal best or do really well, um, as opposed to just go out and run just for the sake of in fun of running, then your goal should be to taper and, and kind of really back off on your training during that last week. Give all of your body, your muscles, your bones a complete chance to recover. Let all the um, fluids get rehydrated in your system. Let all the muscles get completely loose and stretched and just kind of nice, easy, and comfortable so that you're at maximum effort and energy when it comes time for the race. Now, are you saying stop completely or just 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 significantly scale back what you're doing? I would say more on the lines of significantly scale back. You might not run a day or two before the race, but then the whole week you might notice that if you're up to running, say, eight miles, eight miles, eight miles, and on the weekend you were running 16 or 10, 10, 10, and on the weekend you were running 20 as part of your training, then you might run run six miles, six miles, and then a three mile, nice, easy, cool down jog two or three days before, and then don't run after that. Gotcha. Excellent. And, and you mentioned hydration. Uh, should you hydrate differently the week of, uh, or, or even touching on the day of, is that something that really factors in just at the last minute? No, your hydration should not change from your training to your race. Okay. Um, but, but some of the things that are going to maximize, if you're not doing this properly in your training, things that are, you're going to maximize your output during the race. One is during the last three or four days during your taper, make sure that you're drinking enough fluid that your urine is clear. It shouldn't be dark yellow. It shouldn't be even significantly light yellow. It should be fairly clear to make sure you're fully hydrated. And then make sure that the morning of the race, um, you're 
drinking, depending on the distance you're doing, if you're running um, a marathon, you probably want to drink a minimum of 16 ounces of water um, before the race. Okay. And and one of the most important things about that and how are you going to drink that is not just to go out, okay, the race is starting in five minutes, let me chug a gallon, <laughs> which is, is not an uncommon thing that people do. I bet. You have this stomach full of fluid, it's sloshing, it's not digesting, you feel heavy and sluggish. So what you want to do is if and you're going to... And it throws you off from your normal routine. Yes. So what you would want to do then is rather than drink it all right before race time, if you're running a half marathon or a marathon and it's a two-hour, three-hour race, then two to three hours before the race is when you want to slowly start drinking it, making sure you're fully hydrated. So drink right up, just nice and easy and steady all the way up to the time of the race. And then once you've got that 16 to 20 ounces in, then your goal is to remember to drink during the race. And ideally, for the exact same reason, you don't want to run until you're super thirsty and you're getting weak and fatigued and then try to guzzle a lot of water. You want to, every 15 minutes or so, just take about four ounces to keep the fluid going. Now, four ounces is kind of during the cooler months, the cooler six months out of the year. In the summer, it might end up being as closer to eight ounces if you're really pushing your pace every 15 minutes. So you'll drink a a fair amount of fluid so as not to get too dehydrated by the end of a lot, especially on a marathon. If you're running a 5K, you can probably go without fluids and your body has enough storage that it's going to get you through 30 to 40 minutes, no problem. Okay. And and well, of course, that's why we always see the the water stations, right? Exactly. Along the run. Um, And typically those, you know, they have the small cups and how much uh, should, you know, for again, someone who's maybe never done this before but decide, you know, they're going to be running in the Gas Royal Distance Classic or any other marathon, uh, and they have those water stations, what are they typically expected to serve in those? Is that usually about two ounces, three ounces? Depends on the size of the cup, but most of those cups are going to anywhere be from two to six ounces. The average would be about three or four. So if you're drinking one of those cups every 15 minutes, that should help keep you right on track for where you need to stay hydrated. Okay. Would, would you say that drinking water is the best throughout the course of the race? Can runners drink Gatorade and Powerade while they're running? Or um, What you'll find is that the sugar content and the salt content in um, pure normal if you go by gatorade it's the g gatorade they also have a g2 which is their diluted gatorade which seems to be a little bit more effective yeah so so gatorade um has a has a g and a g2 and the g2 is has half the sugar and and half the salt so you're getting more water content if you're drinking pure gatorade you might want to alternate a water on one stop and then a gatorade or a water on two stops and then a gatorade to keep from getting too much sugar because as your body burns that sugar then your, and your, I'm sorry, as your body um, absorbs that sugar, it pulls the sugar into the muscles and it brings the water into the muscles and then you still feel dehydrated. Gotcha. So the fluid actually stays in the bloodstream, which is what's going to help keep you from feeling dehydrated. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, that's an excellent question uh, because, again, you, you know, uh, I grew up, playing sports as a kid and you know they always after every game or whatever or even during the game they're they're just feeding you gatorade you know that was just the thing you know of course now there's all kinds of other things you can drink but uh i certainly didn't take into consideration the sugar content that comes into and obviously how that might affect you during a run yeah i've noticed that water tends to sometimes make me feel a little bloated and less i i i feel like i need to rest what do you recommend for people who don't tend to like to drink fluids while they run? 
um, run shorter distances. Run, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> because if you try to run a marathon without drinking, you're um, going to you're going to find that you're going to hit that wall mm -hmm. much more consistently than somebody who's going to maintain the proper hydration. So the the hydration is going to help prevent you from hitting that proverbial wall mm -hmm. where you end up you know, just running out of energy about half to two thirds of the way through the race. Gotcha. So if you don't like to drink water, then you might want to say, okay, I'm only going to drink every half an hour, but I'll stop and I'll walk and I'll drink. And, and then again, it's going to affect your speed if you're going to stop mm -hmm. and walk. But sometimes, um, runners, especially new runners have trouble where they've got a cup and they're running and they're bouncing and the water's running up their nose and they're yeah. choking on it. And, and it's not an uncommon occurrence been there. Right. And, and so sometimes, you know, taking three steps to stop, grab a cup, drink three drink or four slowly. ounces, yeah. and then, and then start jogging again in about two or three seconds, the hydration is going to actually help you finish faster, even though you've stopped jogging for three seconds each Interesting. Minutes. Oh, very That's cool. A good tip. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and again, just to kind of recap some of the things we just discussed, uh, of course, you mentioned to drink, I'd say about every 15 minutes, right? During a long exactly. run. Exactly. Okay. And then if you are going to be drinking any type of sports drink while you're running to kind of alternate that with the, with, with just plain old water. Exactly. Or dilute it if you plan on, um, if you're doing more of a cycling event or, or if you're going to have somebody who's going to give you your own personal bottles, if you have somebody who's going to be supporting you along the way, you might mix it to where there's a little bit more water in it so you can drink the same thing all the way through. All right. Well, you're watching Keeping You Active, brought to you by Florida Orthopedic Institute. We're talking about running and preparing the week of, the day of, for a run like the Gasparilla Distance Classic coming up here at the end of February in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, in the next segment, we're going to talk about eating in preparation for a run because that's equally important and i think also uh, i'm sure you'll agree it affects your performance on the day of a race and so we'll talk about that in just a minute for more information not only on running tips but also on how you can keep active visit floridaortho.com that's floridaortho.com and for more videos like this make sure you follow us on facebook and on youtube we'll be right back after this Florida Orthopedic Institute has the best solutions for virtually every bone, joint, ligament, and muscle in your body. Founded in 1989, we're one of Florida's largest orthopedic groups. And today, we're at the cutting edge of orthopedic research, education, and techniques. Our highly skilled board-certified physicians and surgeons have advanced subspecialty training, expertise that provides a level of care unattainable anywhere else. Florida Orthopedic has 10 locations across Tampa Bay, so there's one that's right in your neighborhood, including a location with orthopedic urgent care. No one's better at keeping you active because nobody does orthopedics like we do. To find out how we're delivering world-class orthopedic care right here in Tampa Bay, go to FloridaOrtho.com or call 1-800-FL-ORTHO. That's FloridaOrtho.com. 1-800-FL-ORTHO. Hey, welcome back. It's the Keeping You Active show brought to you by Florida Orthopedic Institute. We're talking about running and preparing for a run the week of, the day of. Of course, this is all leading up to the Gasparilla Distance Classic here uh, in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, with us, physician liaison Kim Mott and Dr. Adam Morse. We're having a great conversation in terms of uh, 
physical preparation and uh, who knows maybe we should get into even a little mental preparation but first we want to talk about nutrition and uh, eating properly in preparation for a run like the Gasparilla Distance Classic or any marathon uh, or 5k or 10k uh, let's start with the week of uh, should I change my diet should I change uh, my s schedule for eating uh, anything like that that I should do in preparation for a race um, your eating habits are going to change pretty significantly from the time you start your training. And as you both alluded to earlier on our previous episode, if I start a running program or an exercise program, it's because I want to lose that holiday weight. It's because I, I made a commitment that I want to not only get in better shape, but I want to feel better and look better and, and lose some weight. So when you start training, you're going to start minimizing your caloric intake. You're going to start cutting back on your food and you're going to start eating healthier and you're going to start eating less carbs and stuff like that. Your body is going to go into what's called a catabolic state. And what that means is that you're burning more fuel than you're, um, than you're consuming. Right. So an anabolic state is when you're actually um, eating more fuel so you can help build muscle and build that. So if you're eating a lot of extra protein to help build muscle, that's an anabolic state. If your body is, is burning fuel in a catabolic state, then what you're going to find is that um, you're losing weight over time, slowly and steady, and usually you don't want to lose more than a pound or two a week to be safe and to make sure you're not bonking and not and feeling just exhausted during your runs and your activities. And and that should kind of get to the point where, okay, now I'm at my steady state, I've met my weight goals, or maybe I haven't and I want to continue. But if you want to do well in a race and you want to succeed, you definitely want to be... Um, well fed or in an anabolic state or well carb loaded um, during the last few days before your race. So if you go in right. and you're starving the morning of the race, um, you're going to perform poorly. Um, the old adage used to be have a great big plate of pasta. Um, if you're if you have been depleted in your um, calories and you want to restore your calories, then pasta or a baked potato or a baked sweet potato. Um, one a night for the last two or three nights before the race will help maintain all of your glycogen stores, which is where your rapid use energy comes from. And if you have all of those stores there um, full and you're not and you've tapered down properly so you're not burning as many calories, then you're going to have all the calories you need to reach your maximum um, available energy. Because you also don't want to do it like just the night of and just kind of dig into a huge bowl of pasta. I mean, you, you want to kind of also build up to that over time. You know, in other words, yeah, where it's a little bit, you know, that week of you're kind of making sure that maybe the portions are a little larger, but you're doing it progressively over those days leading up to the race rather than the night before just kind of going all out. Exactly. You don't want to say gorge the night before the race and you don't want to eat really comfortably and excessively for the last two or three weeks and gain three pounds before your race. <laughs> right. You do want to, though, as you're tapering down, your calories are going to kind of increase to where you've got all your calorie stores refilled. You've got all your water stores refilled and you're kind of, you know, essentially topping off the tank before the race in both okay. both areas. 
Now, you mentioned eating a potato once a day. Is that all they're eating? And no, it, you're going to have you're your regular protein or um, vegetables with that. Exactly. Well, you right? still want to have your well-rounded meal. You still want to have your um, fruits and vegetables and your proteins and your dairy, just kind of the normal stuff that you would always eat. Okay. You're just going to add an extra few hundred calories of um, slow-release carbs, okay. um, complex carbohydrates, not simple sugars, so that you can actually store those, and then that'll help you have that extra energy for your race any okay. food you should avoid uh you know i mean aside from the obvious but uh, you know in terms of like chocolate junk cake food. yeah exactly chocolate <laughs> cake that's what um, but i mean some <laughs> foods that maybe people aren't aware of may not be good for you in preparation for race um chocolate cake and and simple <laughs> sugars what right. i will tell you it's like rocket fuel right it's gonna yeah. it's gonna give you a whole lot of energy for about a half an hour and then you're gonna bonk sure so you would be much better off with carbs one of the other things you're gonna notice is that if you're eating really spicy foods um, you're going to notice that's going to tend to have a tendency to irritate your stomach um, fish if it's not really really fresh um, and and greasy fatty foods are going to tend to sit a lot longer and make you feel a little bit more uncomfortable and heavy so you don't want to eat to excess to where you feel stuffed sure. you just want to eat to the where you're not hungry and you want to eat complex carbs vegetables and a little bit of protein to kind of make that mixture all right and so day of, right, let's say we're, you know, at the, you know, at the start of the race, you know, in a matter of hours, that sort of thing. You get up that morning, right, before you head over to the race area, uh, you know, first thing in the morning, what, what should I be eating uh, to kind of prepare my, my stomach and my body for, for the race? Again, you don't want to eat within the last 15 minutes to a half an hour before the race because okay. it'll sit in your stomach and your body as you start exercising. Um will have a tendency to um, shut down your digestion in order to allow your muscles to work. So then anything that you've eaten before then is going to tend to just kind of drop in and sit in your stomach like a rock. Okay. So an hour to two hours, maybe three hours before. Is, um, that, is that because the body is thinking, okay, well, let me hold on to this in case I need it later on? Or No, what? it's your body deciding where the priority is. If I start running and my body says, okay, I need to relay food to the muscles. I'm sorry, relay blood to the muscles to um, increase the, the oxygen carrying capacity of the muscle. If instead it says, well, I'm going to send all the blood to the intestines to start absorbing food and nutrients, then that blood is not going to the muscles to help carry the calories there. Got so it. you want it to be done or at least not actively, aggressively digesting food in your stomach, and you don't want to have something heavy and make you feel full in your stomach. So what you would really like to do is, say, maybe a peanut butter bagel. Um, you've got some carbs. You've got a little bit of protein. It's about an hour or two two to three even before the race and you get just a little something in there that's going to kind of help sustain you because it's going to be kind of slow but not too far and then mostly just hydration until after the yeah, race because of course you also don't want to be hungry during a race right exactly and, and really what would would be kind of the factors there of, of running or the downside of running maybe uh, maybe not necessarily on an empty, empty stomach, but let's say you may have eaten a little too early and, and now, you know, it's race time and, and you're hungry, but you don't want to kind of 
break that 15 to 30 minute rule before the race. Exactly. So then what's going to happen is if you decide to eat, it's going to sit in your stomach and it's going to upset you. If you decide not to eat, you're going to get a couple hours into your exercise and you're going to start noticing that you're, you've depleted all of your calories and you're getting tired and you're kind of getting running out of gas essentially. So if that happens, if you start noticing, hey, look, I didn't eat enough. I didn't get up early enough to eat before the race and, and, and I'm starting to get a little sluggish during the race, then um, a goo packet or or your simple sugars during the race or some Gatorade will kind of help give you a, a little bit of that boost, but it's going to be a short boost for a short period of time. So you might notice that every half an hour to an hour in the race, you might need a goo packet um, or um, some sort of a, an energy boost that's in a liquid form or in a gel form that's going to be easier to absorb and get it into your system a little bit faster. That's a good question because sometimes these races start at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. and maybe some runners want to get enough rest so they don't wake up early enough um, to get a good meal before you know, the two-hour waiting period. What do you recommend as far as sleep goes? How many hours of sleep should runners get the night before? I mean, ideally, I would say a solid eight hours mm -hmm. is going to be the best you can. And that's going to allow you to kind of stay, you know, the strongest, the longest. Okay. Um, so if you have to go to bed early, sometimes preparing a couple of days in advance by getting up a little earlier. If you're going to get up at five o'clock for breakfast on race day, you might want to get up by 5.30 um, the day before the race and get up at six o'clock the day before that okay. and then start going to bed earlier. Because if you'd say, hey, I'm just going to go to bed at five o'clock tonight so that I'm ready to go for yeah. my 3 a.m. wake up for my drive because the race is two hours drive away and it starts at seven. Right then what you're going to find is that you're going to be laying in bed at five o'clock going, well, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm not tired. I can't <laughs> sleep. And then it's just a complete waste of your time. Okay. Yeah. Well, and your body gets very much accustomed to a specific schedule. Right? Exactly. And, and really, again, maybe what are some of the uh, downsides? What are some of the side effects of not getting proper sleep or rest before race? Um, again, your body's going to reach that wall faster. You're going to start getting tired. You're going to start getting sleepy. Your muscles are going to start to feel fatigued and you're just going to feel run down and then it's going to end up affecting you. Usually if it's a longer race, if it's a half an hour race, you'll be fine. But if you're talking about a marathon and, and it's one of your first and you're looking at a four hour race, you might get three hours into the race and go, okay, I'm really starting to feel that lack of sleep and the adrenaline starting <laughs> to wear off because I was all excited at the first part of the race mm -hmm. and my heart was pumping and the music was playing and the fans were cheering. And right. I mean, a, a, a marathon is a big, exciting event. And sure. if you're not used to that much adrenaline and you forget and you start really pushing the envelope and you haven't eaten and you haven't slept all of a sudden you start to find yourself winding down and then you're really in trouble starts catching up with you real quick yeah for our viewers who may not be marathon runners can you define how long is a marathon a marathon is 26.1 miles okay so you're looking at an average first to third time marathoner ballpark might be three and a half hours to five hours wow. average is about four four and a half hours so if you're talking about a half a marathon 
um, you're talking about a pretty solid workout and a lot of these rules apply. If you're talking about anything under a 10K, which is six miles or three miles, you're looking at 30 minutes to an hour of exercise. Your body probably can get away with a little less sleep. Your body can probably get away with a little less eating efficiency. Okay. So unless you're really trying to maximize and make this your record setting <laughs> event, then you could probably get by with just going out and getting away with cheating on some of these eating times okay. and amount of fluid you're drinking and stuff. All right. Well, we're talking running and preparation for that run the week of, the day of that race. And, of course, this is all leading up to the Gasparilla Distance Classic here in the Tampa Bay area. If you want more information on Florida Orthopedic, you can visit FloridaOrtho.com. That's FloridaOrtho.com. And, of course, you can find us all across social media. Uh, but if you want to watch more of these videos talking about running and running tips, uh, you can check us out on Facebook or on YouTube. Subscribe, follow us, leave us some comments. Let us know if there's any questions we can answer for you we'll be back with our final segment we're actually going to talk about uh clothing comfort yes. and uh, the importance of not only what you're wearing but also the shoes you got on when it comes to a marathon when it comes to a race so that'll be up in the next segment we're going to take a quick break it's the keeping you active show brought to you by florida orthopedic institute <laughs> florida orthopedic institute has the best solutions for virtually every bone joint ligament and muscle in your body Founded in 1989, we're one of Florida's largest orthopedic groups. And today, we're at the cutting edge of orthopedic research, education, and techniques. Our highly skilled board-certified physicians and surgeons have advanced subspecialty training, expertise that provides a level of care unattainable anywhere else. Florida Orthopedic has 10 locations across Tampa Bay, so there's one that's right in your neighborhood including a location with orthopedic urgent care. No one's better at keeping you active because nobody does orthopedics like we do. To find out how we're delivering world-class orthopedic care right here in Tampa Bay, go to FloridaOrtho.com or call 1-800-FL-ORTHO. That's FloridaOrtho.com, 1-800-FL-ORTHO. Hey, welcome back. It's the Keeping You Active show brought to you by Florida Orthopedic Institute. Again, for more information on Florida Orthopedic Institute, visit our website, FloridaOrtho.com, FloridaOrtho.com. And you can find us all across social media right now. We're streaming live through Facebook, but we have tons of other videos right here in our Facebook archive. So visit our Facebook page. Look us up, Florida Orthopedic Institute, and on YouTube. So Go over to YouTube, search Florida Orthopedic Institute. You'll find us there as well, including a whole nother bank of videos just like this one where you can educate yourself on how to stay fit, how to stay healthy, and, of course, stay active. So uh, with me, you know, wrapping up the final segment here, physician liaison Kim Mott and Dr. Adam Morse. We're talking running and preparation for the week of the day of the race. we got the Gasparilla Distance Classic coming up February 25th. Uh, by the way, we're going to be there all weekend long at the Gasparilla Health and Fitness Expo, February 24th and 25th. We'll be there on Friday from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. on that Saturday, race day. We'll be there from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's absolutely free, even if you're not running in the race itself. Come out and say hi. We're going to have doctors there. We're going to have trainers there. We might do some taping. They're going to be some giveaways. We're going to have a lot of fun there. So come out and say hi. The whole team's going to be there hanging out for the Gasparilla Distance Classic. And uh, even if you have some questions that maybe you know have kind of been weighing on you or you may want to be more active in 2017, we can definitely you know give you that advice to get you started on the right foot. Speaking of the right foot, 
<laughs> We're going to talk clothing. Yeah, clothing, footwear, in terms of uh, exactly what you need to do, maybe leading up to and day of the race. Uh, let's kind of quickly, because I don't think, you know, it, it's really going to take up a whole lot of time, but week of. All right. So week of the race, you know, obviously common question is how often should I change out my shoes? Uh, Should I buy new shoes? Right. Should I buy new shoes for a race? You know, because maybe, you know, somebody think it might help in terms of comfort. Um, What's kind of the the right answer there in terms of if someone has been training, right? Because you figure they've now been working out and training for a number of weeks. Uh, but maybe they feel they've kind of worn down those shoes. Should they go the week of and maybe get a new pair of shoes for that race? That's exactly one of the most common mistakes that new marathoners make. Okay. Is to find out that, hey, look, I am starting to, you know, wear out these shoes a little bit and I want to look really good for my next big win. <laughs> right. So I'm going to buy a pair of brand new shoes so I look really stylish at the finish line. That brand new shoes hasn't been broken into your feet. It hasn't been worked out. It starts rubbing blisters. It starts causing pain. This tends to dampen your run because it'll increase your minor injury and problematic system. And it might also affect how you run. You might notice you don't like the new shoes. So sure. definitely never change shoes um, within the last two to three weeks before a race. Okay. You want to have them broken in comfortable and where you feel comfortable with those shoes, and that's the shoe you want to wear to the race. In addition, during your training, we didn't touch on this yet, is that you want to change your shoes about every 500 running miles, which equates to, if you're a middle to long distance runner, about every four to six months. So every two to every three um, times a year, you'll say, hey, it's time for a new pair of shoes. You might even buy them if you really like a style and a brand and you notice they feel really comfortable on your feet. Go out and buy three pair and that'll be your three pairs for the year. And then you just change them out every four months That's and don't idea. worry about training time. Well, and, and, and to that, uh, right, because you talked about the importance of breaking those shoes in, making sure that they conform to your to your foot. Um, now, you're not a shoe specialist. You're a doctor. Uh, but it, maybe you know some tips as to how to properly break in a pair of shoes or maybe what are some of the things you should be looking for when you do start using a brand new pair of shoes. Um, typically, there's nothing really to do to break in a new pair of shoes other than just continue your running. Um, but usually, should I wear them like on a daily basis, like when I'm not working out maybe? No, to no give them just for a- your runs. Okay, all right. Yeah. You don't want them to get overworn and you don't want them to get scuffed and beat up by playing tennis or racquetball because you might have a running shoe is designed for one direction, whereas a tennis shoe or a shoe you wear play tennis or play racquetball in or to play basketball in is completely different design of shoe. It's designed okay. for a lot of lateral movement. It may not be... Um, it may be very stabilizing, but it also might be a lot heavier, whereas a running shoe would be typically lighter and it wouldn't have a lot of lateral stability. So it's not designed for cutting left and cutting right. It's just designed for one direction. So that shoe is probably best just worn for running. Well, and that's one of the things that we've talked about in some of our other videos, which is uh, maybe not going to your standard sports store, maybe going to an actual store where they possibly specialize in running shoes uh, because not only for the reasons you mentioned in terms of there being so much variety in terms of sneakers out there nowadays, um, but also that uh, you're going to have more options, right, in terms of what's going to fit you as an individual and for your style or distance or time of running. In addition to that, it's not only just your style of running or your distance, 
distance running, but it's your anatomy. It's your breakdown. Do you do your feet tend to toe out? Do they tend to toe in? Do you tend to run on the outside of your foot or the inside of your foot? Do you tend to heel strike on the outside and roll across the inside or heel strike on the inside and roll across the outside? So actually trying on a pair of shoes at a running store and having them videotape you running in them and make sure that your foot inside that shoe is creating the proper motion so that you're not running on the outside of the foot or inside of foot is going to help decrease injury. It's going to help make sure that you've got the shoe that's best designed that's giving you the proper arch support or no excess arch support if your arch is already too high. So it can correct for all those things with the shoe. Then once you decide, hey, this is the shoe that I want, then you just need to find the cheapest place where you can buy that specific shoe. Right. And then you can go out and find them either online or through a, a retail sporting goods store where you can get the several pair at a time to make sure that you don't have to go back and do that test because three months later when you go back they say we don't make that shoe anymore we've got the new shoe right well and that's actually one of the things i've wondered you know probably you know my entire life in terms of just you know someone again who's played sports and stuff i've never been much of a runner but i've played a, a variety of sports and things like that and i always wondered if there is a right or wrong way to run in terms of your feet and how you're like you were saying the way that your foot strikes the ground and i know we're kind of getting a little off topic because we were talking about clothing um but when you go to a running store is is that also something that you know should be taken into consideration and, and is it possible to change the way your feet strike the ground when you are running um it's very difficult. I, I would think so. Because sometimes if, if you naturally, um, if your hips naturally rotate out and your feet subsequently follow that, changing the shoe may not change that. And you can do some gentle stretches to work on tightening that up, but it's not going to change. Sometimes that's just your genetic makeup. Yeah. That's just how you were born and how you were built. So sometimes you just have to work around it. Okay. Not everybody is Hussein Bolt. <laughs> right. He's awesome. <laughs> and so let's, you know, again, kind of may start to work our way up from the bottom. So we're talking about shoes. Right. And, and, and in running shoes, you know, just before we get away from running shoes, um, of course, there was the big fad not that long ago, you know, with the with the foot fingers. And and so, I mean, that had little to no sole. And then, of course, we've seen some running shoes that have very thick soles is that also preference is that uh, was that a good fad a bad fad i mean I, I i hear that there's still some people out there with those types of shoes is that an the, issue the shoe is called a minimalist shoe yeah. it is designed for toe runners people that run on the ball of their foot that like to be able to feel and contact the ground um, if you're running um, on the balls of your foot you're using your achilles tendon in the back to act as a shock absorber and cushion by kind of staying on the ball of your foot like a lot of animals run. Um, in those situations, you find that the the body has to adapt to running that way. Okay. So if you say, hey, I'm a heel toe runner and I run that way and I wear a nice cushioned shoe and I'm gonna switch over and do the same thing in the minimalist shoes, I'm gonna end up with a lot of foot pain as a result of it. Yeah. If you say, hey, I want to, um, for this marathon, I want to try to run on the ball of my foot and get my minimalist shoe or even practice running on my regular tennis shoes on the ball of my foot. Um, what you're going to find is that your calf is doing a lot more work than running heel toe. And if you don't train that way for a long period of time and start over and build up your mileage really slowly, the chance that you're going to pull a calf muscle or get a strain 
is going to be much higher. Wow. So ju- even just the shoe then can certainly maybe lead to a high propensity of injury. Yes, right. very much so. Awesome. Okay. Well, you know, and as Kim mentioned, socks. Uh, yeah, exactly. Is there a, a right sock, a wrong sock? Uh, is there, uh, I mean, can, is, will an average sock do? I mean, will my Costco socks work? I mean, yeah. um, I, I think that the sock is just a nice way to keep your feet from smelling yeah. after you, you can change those out and wash them much easier and you can wash your shoes. <laughs> so, um, having a sock on helps to decrease blisters and stuff like that. And it helps to decrease, um, rub areas where there's a strap or something on the shoe that might have a rub. The sock's going to kind of balance that out and separate it out and it's also going to help kind of wick the sweat away from your feet so wearing a sock is a good idea Um, does it have to be any special type of sock i don't think it's so i think anything that you get from costco or sam's club would be just fine okay so i mean yeah so i mean there's obviously all kinds of people trying to come up with this kind of sock that kind of sock um, and Talk about the compression sleeves, then. Maybe. Yeah, there's right because there is so much kind of new stuff out there, you know, in terms of compression sleeves, you know, be it for you know your legs and or your calves or you know or even your thighs, that sort of stuff. You see, especially in some sports, you see certain athletes where they wear that compression stuff underneath. I mean, what what kind of an effect is it a beneficial at all, or is it? you know, more of a, just a mental thing for, for some of these guys? No, I think they actually serve a pretty good purpose. A compression sleeve on the calf is typically something that not everybody has to wear, but it does give you a little added support and it helps to keep you warm. So if you say, Hey, look, I'm running and it's a fairly cool morning and my calves feel kind of tight and I want to keep them warm so that they don't cramp up on me. Um, then sometimes wearing a calf sleeve in that situation is very good. If you are noticing that you're getting a little bit of tendonitis in um, what we call posterior medial tibial stress syndrome or, yeah, it's it's a lot of big (laughs) words, but basically what it boils down to is that you're getting some some strain to the muscles, not your um, big calf muscles, but the ones that curl your toes and and assist the the ankle in moving. If you're starting to get micro tears or soreness or overtraining syndrome from those, sometimes the cast leaves will allow you to train a little bit more comfortably until you can get a time to recover if all of a sudden you started having pain a week or two before your event you didn't want to just cancel or stop training two weeks before the event and hope you could run it anyway so the cast sleeves work very well on that um, for bigger guys like me i'm not really designed as a runner like hussein bolt i'm a little stockier so um when i run i start noticing the hair on the inside of my thighs starts to go away because my thighs chafe (laughs) i like to wear a compression um shorts um you can wear regular shorts or a running type short or a gym short over the top of them but if you start noticing that if you're running longer and longer distances until you start losing the weight where you're comfortable your inside of your thighs rub and you're starting to get chafing and sore and you start getting um, folliculitis, which is um, where the hair grows out. It's starting to get little red dots and kind of getting a little irritated. Then that works really well to have um, a a synthetic, breathable stretch fabric that's going to allow to decrease the friction on the thighs. And then the short is just going to be more comfort and aesthetic if you can wear something over that. If you don't, then then you can go just in compression short. Um, Same thing is your upper body wear should um, 
be indicative of the weather outside. Yeah. So if I'm wearing a shirt, I want a, a dry fit, breathable fabric like this. Um, it's going to wick the fluid away and it's going to evaporate rapidly. If I'm wearing a cotton t-shirt, I'm going to sweat into the cotton. The cotton is going to stay wet. I'm going to feel like I'm carrying around a five pound shirt. When I peel it <laughs> off the end of the race, I'm wringing out a half a gallon of water that I've been carrying with me that I didn't need to. Right. So something that's a lightweight, breathable fabric is going to be much better. If you need something warmer, a long sleeve, yeah. breathable, lightweight fabric, um, an Under Armour type of um, fabric that, that the football players wear, but something that's not going to hold water. You want something that's going to wick and breathe so that it's going to dry fast is going to be beneficial. So wear the free t-shirt they give you at the race after the race. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What about that's if it's it. pouring down rain? Um, again, you don't want to be soaking wet. So that same material is not going to hold the water. It's going to wick okay. it away. If I'm running, it's pouring down Wayne and I'm wearing cotton, then I'm going to have a problem. Now, if it's, it's cold it and it's raining and you don't want to get wet or you're finding that you're still too cold, then a lightweight windbreaker, preferably something that you can get really cheap and that's disposable that if it dries and warms up afterwards, you can shed and toss to the side of the road would be ideal. That's so it doesn't affect your overall run, really. Exactly. Yeah. It'll just yeah. keep you dry, keep you warm early hours, and then and then find an old jacket or something that you don't mind shedding and dropping on the side of the road or having somebody pick up for you to spot if you need to. And as we yeah. wrap up here, a similar approach to, I mean, you know, in terms of consistency, in terms of what you wear leading up to the race, or is it doesn't really matter if I want to, you know, kind of get some new threads, you know, to wear on race day? Uh, you know, or do you suggest again to kind of stick with what you've been wearing to work out? Ideally, you wear similar things to what you work out, but these are the things that you should have been wearing all along because right. they're going to maximize your comfort and your training and keep you from getting chafing. A couple of other tricks that we find is deodorant works really well behind the knees because sometimes when you sweat, you'll get some chafing and some irritation from the salt buildup. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes you get it on your feet as well. So you can run deodorant behind the knees and you can put um, band-aids over your nipples will actually help go. decrease the chafing from that shirt if it's rubbing back and forth and you get a raw spot. So and that'll sometimes be just, in the just about any shirt will do that. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so the Band-Aid trick, all right, that's a the good one. The Band-Aid trick, the deodorant <laughs> trick on the back of your knees, sometimes on the insides of your elbows, if you're yeah. swinging and you're sweating in there, it'll get kind of chafy and sore a little bit just from the moisture. Well, and I know I'd asked you uh, in a previous episode uh, or segment, but um, uh, again, if, if someone maybe is just worried that, you know, oh, this ankle bothers me every once in a while, or my knee bothers me every once in a while, maybe I should put on maybe a compression brace or something like that, uh, but they haven't been working out with that. Uh, do you think they should take that precaution or do you discourage that? I, I think if you have something that has been bothering you and you notice it's been kind of a routine thing, um, wearing like a lace-up ankle brace or some ankle support or a compression sleeve across the ankle is something that I would definitely try, but I wouldn't try it for the first time on race day. Okay. I would try it three to four weeks before the race and see if you notice that you have less pain during your training. And if that's the case, then I would continue to wear it through the race. Otherwise, I wouldn't wear it. All right. Did you have a question? Yeah, I was wondering about eyewear. Does That's it make sense to wear sunglasses? We're in Florida. I'm sure that your eyes get a little irritated from the bright sun. Do you notice if that makes a difference in your ability to complete the race and perform at your best? Um, 
two things as far as that. Um, the sun is pretty bright, mm -hmm. and you will notice that if you're wearing sunscreen, not to get off topic and not answer your question, <laughs> but your body will um, reflect the light and decrease the amount of sweating, the amount of heat you do if you're properly applying sunscreen before you run on a really hot day. Okay. Same thing if there's a real bright sunny day, whether it's hot or not, wearing um, sunglasses will keep you from squinting. Mm -hmm. If you're squinting, you'll start noticing the muscles in your face will get tight. You'll start getting stiffness in the neck. You'll start getting a headache and you'll think you're dehydrated. You may or may not be dehydrated as well, but you'll notice that if you're wearing a dark enough sunglass that your face can stay relaxed, that you'll be less likely to get a headache and stiffness and tightness in the neck and a tension headache and allow you to run more comfortably as well. Never would have knew. Well, yeah. and if you know that the race is going to be either early in the morning or mid-morning, um, adjust your training schedule accordingly too, right? You certainly can, yes. For those factors, you know, exactly. weather yes. and sunlight and that sort of thing. But we're in Florida and the weather changes like <laughs> in minutes. Every hour? Yeah, so yeah exactly. <laughs> we got to be prepared yeah. for all of it. Well, we went a little long in this segment, <laughs> but it's been absolutely fantastic to be able to discuss this with you. We hope you enjoyed it. It's been the Keeping You Active show brought to you by Florida Orthopedic. For more information or... Or if you have some questions on how to prepare for the upcoming Gasparilla Distance Classic or any marathon or race, uh, feel free to reach out to us at FloridaOrtho.com. That's FloridaOrtho.com. And again, you can leave us a question or comment right here on Facebook. Uh, find us on YouTube as well. Just look up for uh, Florida Orthopedic Institute. That's Florida Orthopedic Institute. And again, our website, FloridaOrtho.com. It's been the Keeping You Active show. Thanks again, Kim. You're welcome. And thank we'll see you, you again. At the classic. Yeah, that's right. And <laughs> Dr. Morris, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you both very much, and thanks for watching. <laughs>